I always say this in, in my classes that there are no bad foods and I have them repeat that there are no bad foods just some foods have more life in it so if we all agree that life is the goal we have to agree that this life that we're having right now is the goal then you'll feed that and it moves everybody out of this sort of obligation mindset into opportunity mindset you know what I mean? So this food that we're eating, this food that I'm having, the relationship isn't about good or bad or punishing myself or rewarding myself. And we do that with food. And that was never the purpose of food. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows enough about yet. Yeah, it is so hidden by the negative noise in our society that I'm calling this wave a conspiracy of goodness. Yes, it is still an amazing world out there. And on this podcast, you'll meet some of the people making it that way. Hey, welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, the founder of the mothership of this podcast. The mothership website is called The Goodness Exchange. And there you'll find instant access to newsworthy insights and innovations that just are not rising to the top of our feeds. Every week, you'll hear a different topic on this, on this podcast. And the thread that runs through all of it is that you will be able to live with less fear and more joy from the wonder that my guests bring to this narrative that we have about our future, the way we think about the world. Our general worldview, we hope, is improved by the guests you hear on this podcast. And we're going to start at that right now with an amazing person that I discovered recently, Chef Kenny Miner. Welcome, Chef Kenny. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Linda. It's so good to be here. Well, I tell you, there's a lot in Kenny's bio that I really want to touch, but I'm going to make it short because the rest of this conversation will bring out a whole lot of important points that are part of Chef Kenny's story that made me realize I just had to have Kenny on the podcast to share things with us that he has, has come across. So Kenny is a chef. He's a cookbook author, and I think he considers himself an educator. The places where I found Chef Kenny on the internet, he's definitely raising everyone's level of insight and level of a feeling of possibility up. He's passionate about making sure all people have access to healthy food that's culturally appropriate. And that is a big part of the message here in the, the chat that we're going to have today is there's so much more about food than just eating. It's all about culture and what we share together. Chef Kenny was named the top chef of 2014 for Ebony Magazine. He's appeared on the Tamron Hall Show and the Food Network's show called Chopped. Chef Kenny brings such a sort of an exuberance to this topic of food. And it just he's got kind of a, a song in his heart at all times. And we'll go into this, but he did start with a little goal of winding up on Broadway. So, so that song in his heart comes from someplace really deep. And I think it's a lovely combination with, with food and nutrition and eating. Chef Kenny was raised in the South with nine children, with, the, with his grandmother feeding nine children. And she firmly believed that food was an indication of hospitality and how you show love. And that's what comes out in Kenny's work as well. He's got an amazing project, which we'll dive into 
into called Eat for Life Project that has led to collaborations with the Whole Food Market, the Emblem Health, and the YMCA. Lastly, he's got some cookbooks. He's got one called From My Plate to Yours, Lunch Fixes, that really focus on fighting food cravings, getting people more energy, clearing out frustrations, and improving wellness. And his latest is called Everyday Smoothies. So we have a lot to talk about here from culture to smoothies and everything in between. Welcome, Kenny. Let's get started with our chat. Let's do it. I've been waiting for this all month. Really good good to be with everybody. Yes. Hello, everyone. We did have an amazing pre-chat, and um, mm-hmm. and I hope we can get through at least half of the questions that, that I got <laughs> out of that call. So, okay, let's start. take it from the top. You know, mm-hmm. I loved this way that you talk about food and the way it's about cult- comfort, you know, mm-hmm. and how your grandmother's story and how you were raised factors into mm-hmm. how the kind of love that you're showing others and in service to others with your food message. So talk to us about a little bit about your background and how you wound up being just who you are exactly. Well, we start, you know, it starts from days of me thinking about growing up in Washington, D.C. That's where I'm from. And I grew up in an era, you may remember this, Linda, where we had to be on the front before the lights went out. You know, everybody knew each other. It was this big neighborhood where the lady down street could discipline us if we were doing wrong. And my grandmother, we lived with my grandmother, big house full of people, full of love and full of joy. And definitely how we said grace together as a family, how we ate the food together really contributed. You know, everybody always says, you're such a nice, you're such a nice guy, Chef Kenny. And some of it I work on, but that spirit of it, that spirit of hospitality definitely comes from my grandmother. And food is how we show what our love to each other. It's how we gather together and how we reaffirmed each other as a family member. And everybody had their place. You know, I was in charge of macaroni and cheese. My grandmother did the main meats and my mother would do the cornbread. And I, these positions kind of like this French brigade <laughs> of what everybody had to do. And it kind of forced all of us getting together and co- a cohesive family together. And it was a great place to live at in Washington, D.C. with my grandmother. Yeah. Well, you know, and that that's where most of our food mentality starts in our mm. childhood. And yeah. you know, you I think you grew up in maybe an era and a culture where food was a kind of a celebration. It was sort of a you know a, a way of being grateful and passing on what you knew and what you could do. If you didn't have a lot, you could surely cook for people with the most love and grace. Talk to yeah. us about that. You you had some really great experiences in the black church, right? Yeah, the black church was that celebration. All of us come together on Sunday. It was an event. First of all, we were in, we were in church all day because we had to get there. Um, I started out in church. My earliest memories is like five years old, having my first solo, this little light of mine. That was my first solo. <laughs> and I remember having that experience. It's the same memory that implanted on me about food and music at the same time, which kind of governs who I am, food and music, right? And I remember doing the solo and then they sent all the kids in the basement, right? Because it, the church would get crowded. So all the kids got to go play in the basement. And I was downstairs where all the church ladies were cooking the food. We're talking about the fried chicken and the smothered chicken and the pork chops and the macaroni and cheese. And Jesus, I'm making myself hungry just talking about it. And all of that food. So all the kids playing around. And I just remember sitting on the seat thinking, I cannot wait till we eat. It, so it was, I was just rocked. I still like when I'm really happy and want to eat, I rock. 
And I would just rock in the chair waiting. And the church lady brought me over a piece of chicken. She was like, baby, was that you singing this morning? Singing the song? I said, yes. And she gave me a piece of fried chicken, a leg wrapped up in white bread, Wonder Bread. I don't know if y'all remember Wonder Bread. I don't know if you had it up there. And she gave me that. And I remember eating a chicken and the church was upstairs singing, climbing up the mountain. I was told your story. And it's the happiest I've ever been in my life. It's the happiest eating the chicken <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, having the little grease come down my thing and hearing the music. I felt comfort. I felt at home. I felt safe. And that's what it represents to me. And that's what the black church represented to me. And just to have that place of a center of language. Language is very important to me. I'm very mindful of the language I have around me. And even though we, you know, I've grown up. And we have our own thoughts about religion and church and everything. What I'm clear about is growing up in a, a presence of words like God can make a way. No matter what happens, stand. You know what I mean? Trouble don't last always. This too shall pass. All those kind of words that entered my soul and into my consciousness still governs me today. And it was connected to these these food experiences. I have a similar mm. background. You asked, asked about the Wonder Bread. When I was growing up, I grew up on a farm in Illinois. And the big yeah. thing on Sunday, I remember my mom just standing in her robe and slippers, frying chicken, frying chicken, frying chicken for hours mm -hmm. in the morning. And then we'd take it up to the farm, out, out on the farm on blankets, and eat just white bread cut in triangles with butter and fried chicken under this giant cottonwood tree as the the men did some big giant horrifying project this is oh and the potlucks oh my gosh the potlucks mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know after every funeral <laughs> every 50th wedding anniversary whatever it is it was all about church basements and potlucks and people's mm -hmm. food and favorite recipes spread out by the dozens it, there is a lot of culture involved with food and eating and sharing recipes and stuff that I think we, sometimes I feel like we're getting away from it a little bit. And that's what I was interested in talking to you about, because I think you bring that energy back. Yeah, you know, it's so good to hear you talk about those stories of family and home. I saw the gleam in your eye with food, and I see that gleam no matter what the situation is, even when we talk about culture and family. I remember us getting around the table as a family on Sunday, saying grace together, that culture of saying one prayer together that acknowledged the food and the gratefulness on the plate. You know what I mean? We're stepping away from that. You're so correct as a culture. Now, everybody, you order a pizza, pizza come in, everybody get a slice, kids go in their room, you go to the table, people watch Netflix. It, you, you, want, you don't want to be like, come on, let Force family, but I think these cultures and these rituals, we really have to on some level because they're slipping away. And so what I do, especially in my, even if it's a, a nutrition class and I make sure that we pray together as a group and as a rule, nobody eats until we're all there until it's all ready. And somehow it creates this cohesiveness that I think is a little distinctive when we're talking about wellness and we're talking about how we connect as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that. The even the spiritual aspect that that you're mm. you know, to this is part of remembering that food is part of a sacred thing that for millions of years every human being on the planet struggled with, right? Mm -hmm. Now there is so much abundance in our life, even if it's a gas station hamburger. It you know, mm -hmm. 
there is food in our lives. Most people, many, many people are very unfortunate and food is not in their lives. But for a lot of us, it's easy to take food for granted because it is there. It is so abundant. But I, I like the way that you bring it to a you know, the spirituality of food and gratitude is, is, is all wound up together. I want to ask yeah. you something you said to me that I will get us down the pike on your expertise. So you talked about how there's this transition going on. Maybe it's been going on for years. I don't know what you think about it. You know, we mm. start with our grandmother's comfort food. Then somehow food gets bad. It gets, gets called bad, you know? Yes. Um, Yes. And then we then part of that all gets lost in the translation. And I know your your work is to make some foods that could be healthier, <laughs> healthier. Yes. Uh, but uh, where's that? Talk to us about the chaos between bad foods and good foods and comfort foods and all that. Right. I think I always say this in, in my classes that there are no bad foods. And I have to repeat that. There are no bad foods. Just some foods have more life in it. So if we all agree that life is the goal, we have to agree that this life that we're having right now is the goal, then you'll feed that. And it moves everybody out of this sort of obligation mindset into opportunity mindset. You know what I mean? So this food that we're eating, this food that I'm having, the relationship isn't about good or bad on punishing myself or rewarding myself. And we do that with food. And that was never the purpose of food. You know what I mean? But that I, one of the things that I do in the class, because we talk, I talked about this, creating the language. I was doing classes at the YMCA and I get up there, Linda, and I talk about the smoothies and the benefits and, you know, it's good for your bones and all of this language around the nutrition part. And I would kind of just see a lost look in everybody's eyes in these community outreach things I was doing. And I'm like, I know this is good information, but why isn't it penetrating the soul? Why isn't it really, really getting to them? And that's not inherently how we experience food. So when you ask someone to give up their food, you're asking them to give away a piece of their history, that grandma's meal. And so there is a very personal thing of loss that we feel when we say we want to eat healthy. And I don't think that we were talking enough in, in the community of wellness about the sense of loss when trying to achieve the opportunity. And so what I really do, and I tell everybody, I'm a, a health coach, but I only have a small group of clients who are willing to go on this journey about the soul. And so this is because it, it is, I feel like, and I've said this to you, and I've only said it to a few times. So here, I'll say it on your show. <laughs> that I believe once the weight is 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds plus, that it isn't simply about nutrition. It isn't. It's about some tear in our soul that's going on in addition to the bad eating habits. But let's get to what's really going on with the soul. So you said something earlier that I want to touch on about the sacredness of it. What do you hold sacred in your heart, in your mind about food? And that's when I get down to it and I ask people, what is your mission statement of sort, a belief statement for food? And no one has a belief statement around food. So that's the first thing I start with with my clients. What is your belief about it? Do you remember grandma used to say, if you, don't, if you don't believe in something, you fall for everything? Well, my fall was four chicken wings and french fries <laughs> and ice cream and potato chips with dip. And you know what I mean? And buffalo wings and, oh, Jesus, you know what I mean? So all of that is, is a reason for it. So it's all good. Yeah, well, you know, this is something I didn't talk about in the opener, but that is part of Kenny's story is that you were, what, 95 pounds 
overweight mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. when you had an epiphany about this. Tell us a little bit about that journey. 95 pounds. I found myself at 29 years old. I, I dealt with my weight all through my teens. You know what I mean? That really attributes to, thank God, for therapy. 13 years of therapy, I really got to it. It started with, and this is how I, I talk to my clients, because it can start from something so small. And my dad got in, he was incarcerated when I turned seven years old, right? And all of a sudden, my fondest memories of my father and my mother and my sister is around the dinner table. And you remember Mikey? Mikey eat anything? My father would give me food and was like, Kenny, eat it. Go ahead, eat it. And that was just a little celebratory thing. And I wasn't even overweight as a child. And then he got arrested. And then all of a sudden, at seven years old, he wasn't there. And no one had a conversation with me about daddy did something bad or, you know, this is a situation. The next thing that I knew, I'm on a bus heading down to a jail and their chains. And then I can't touch my father in an orange jumpsuit across the line and come back home. And I, I almost can picture it. I started to eat because he wasn't there. I missed him and I didn't have the language for it. And of course, then that that turned into just bad eating habits because in my heart of hearts, I love food. So that light was always there. So it wasn't very a uh, hard jump for me. That is my drug of choice. <laughs> food is my drug of choice. Let's be clear. It's my drug of choice. My and too. so, my you know what I mean? And it's, a, it's a lot of people. And I definitely speak to my clients who struggle with weight because I say to them, out of all the vices out there, why did you choose food? And so we really go through that story about when was the signals you got about food and things of that nature. So it really is so hurting. And so that led till I was 30, 29 years old. And then I said to myself, I was getting ready for a wedding and I had never had a custom fit clothes. I always get stuff off the rack. And I remember going into the shop and I told the guy, he said, so what's your size, big boy? That's what he called me. I was like, I'm probably like a 38 pants. He said, all right, let's try it. And let's just say he went to 40, 42, 44, and it finally fit me at 46. A 46 pants, 246 pounds plus, and I was not in a good space. I just, I just wasn't in a good space. And I have this moment, and I'll try to get through it quickly, but it was, it was one of those moments like you kind of see in a movie. My Friday night was usually consisted of two burgers, ice cream, potato chips and going to blockbuster remember blockbuster <laughs> and i would get two movies from blockbusters and i would just sit in on friday i was a binge eater before that was a real term you know what i mean and i would sit in and i lived in the attic in my mom's house and one of the movies went off it was white noise i'll never forget it with michael keaton and at the end of blockbuster's movie the color used to go to yellow and blue that was their colors at the very end of the movie and then my my attic filled with this blue light in the attic and i looked down and it was the first time that i saw the hamburger wrappers i had eaten the big bag of chips i'd had two milkshakes and the french fries and i just in one setting that was in then two hours of a movie and i saw me the me that you're looking at right now is the guy I cried for. And I, it's a soul I cried for. And that day I decided I was like, this time, it's time to figure out emotionally what's going on and to give it a physical regimen so I can get this weight off my body. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. that tipping point? I do. I do. That was yeah. my tipping point. If we're honest with ourselves, you know, that that's probably the only way real transformation happens is mm. when sort of like all the stars align and, and we can just get, feel transported into another mindset, right? We can yeah. take all the New Year's resolutions and all those that we want, but it really takes an alignment of there were probably six other things that set you up for that. You oh, yeah, know, yeah. That the one. wedding. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything is set me up for to see it. Because sometimes we're just in it and living life. And so to everybody out there, sometimes it's kind of hard because a little fun, little fact. You, uh, I'm changing subjects here, but it does mean to it. But uh, I heard a story about Febreze. When Febreze first started, it wasn't a hit when it first came out. And you remember the original, the original marketing was to eliminate the odor in your house. And the idea is that people didn't realize that there was an odor in their house, so they didn't use it. But once they switched the marketing to you make up your bed, clean the house, and then you spray, that it was a reward that you did at the end of completing your task, it went off the shelf. So... You know, so when it comes to weight loss, I, sometimes we're in it and we understand that we're getting, you know, the weight is getting there, but we don't really have the language for it until we see it. Right. And so I think seeing all of that food out there like that and not being able just to be a church boy who getting thicker, you know, the language around, you know, we just big people. That's what we are. And soaking that in, <laughs> you know what I mean? Soaking that in. No, that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. And I think a million of us who who are people who struggle with that weight, even though we learn to live with it, that it is in a place that we wish we can change. And it's something that's surrounded by a level of shame for me, for so many of us, that we're so progressive in everything that we do. And our jobs and at love and loving our kids and our family. And it seems to be this one thing that we cannot get past and we don't know why. And it hurts. And so that that presence that you talked about, we feel it at moments. My job as a wellness coach is to stretch those moments. Like when you get out of the shower and you look in the mirror and you have like that 10, 15 seconds of I need to do something about this weight. And then somebody knock on the door or life happens and you're out of it. My job is to extend that that presence. And so we can have a conversation about how do we address the weight and how do we it's not even about weight, to be honest with you, because I weigh about the same thing I did a little different kind of muscles now, but I weigh. So it's not about weight. It's more about a mindset. So how do we change mindsets about love, about family, about passions, about, you know, how do we live? Oh. That is such a great stepping off point for the rest of our conversation. That was such mm. a great summary of, of the journey because it's a journey that so many of us are on. You see me shaking my head. <laughs> yeah, there's so much of my story and your story and probably a lot of people that are listening to this. Okay, let's take a break and when we come back and we're going to get into some of these insights that Chef Kenny brings to our way of thinking about food and the way we can celebrate things with with we can celebrate the comfort flavors with mm. new ways of cooking and eating. Okay, we'll take a break. Hi, Dr. Linda Ulrich here, founder of the Goodness Exchange. Hey, did you know that a recent Harvard study found that just 90 seconds of positive news each day will make you 18% more optimistic, 32% less anxious, and 12% more likely to feel gratitude? Yes, if you make a habit of learning about just one piece of remarkably good news each day, 
you will radiate joy and strength and ideas in all your circles. And the Goodness Exchange will give you that instant access you need to positive news, fresh insights, and uplifting perspectives. That will save you time and your sanity. Okay, that solves the problem in our personal lives. But what about our working environments? We need to feel alive in those places and feel supported. Well, enter the Goodness Exchange for business. For companies all over the world who want to create optimistic, values-driven work cultures, our content can give them a way to turn aspirational ideas like positivity into a concrete way of being in the workplace. In fact, employee retention and attraction may now depend on your culture's ability to nurture this tone of insight and innovation and possibility. So why should we care? I don't know which one of the following statistics is more important. In 2022, only 32% of people reported feeling engaged at work. And that's the second year in a row there for a decline in that report. And one study found that 70% of employees say they would leave their current organization for a different employer offering resources to reduce burnout. This is hard to hear, but your work culture can offer something new, peace of mind and a sense of flourishing where employees' well-being isn't just a perk any longer. Addressing the root cause of employee burnout is critical to every company's bottom line, and the goodness exchange for business is the perfect way to do that. We can meaningfully elevate the results of your company's wellness efforts and benefits packages and give you an organization that has its foundations in a shared sense of positivity if you'd like to chat about infusing your company's culture with a tone of celebration about what's right with the world, about goodness and innovation and progress, we'd love to chat. Contact our CEO, Liesl, at info at goodness-exchange.com. Thanks. Okay, we're back with Chef Kenny Miner. Kenny is a, an educator at heart in the world of food and eating. He's a cookbook author and a speaker. He has a lot more going on in the way of helping us all celebrate our histories and our cultures through eating, but eating in ways that are healthier with I love something I wrote down. You you pick out that that sense of loss that you have when people say the word eating healthy. That's exactly the way my mind goes. When you say, oh, and you got to eat healthier, I also feel a sense of loss. So mm-hmm. let's start there. You have this great story, and I'm not sure it really really fits right here, but I remember when you and I first talked, you, the story I was talking about how in the Ice Age, we we ate to survive, and there mm. was, there's a scarcity to food and that creeps into our way of thinking about how we eat and how much we eat. And you talk tell told a story about the preacher's neck. <laughs> yes. I kind of alluded to it in the first part. Yeah, the preacher's neck. That's when I was gaining weight and getting heavier, they would say, Oh, you got a preacher's neck. And then, so two things are going on simultaneously as they say that in the black church. And all of my church folk know what I'm talking about. On one hand, it's a compliment that you look like something that they know, right? And then the other hand, it's almost speaking into your life that you're going to be in the ministry. You know what I mean? That I was going to be a preacher and that I had a preacher's neck and, and, and a stance. And so 
I remember taking that that story in. It was just like, no, I don't want I don't want to be a preacher. <laughs> I remember like being a preacher means I got to keep this weight on me, this level of I want to be honest about the weight because I, I had a friend share with me something very deeply it was like the way you say it. I want to make sure that you're not saying and I had to take this in, uh, Linda, really, that you're not happy if you're overweight. And that only way that you could be happy is if you're skinny or somebody's idea. So I want to make sure I'm very sensitive to talking about weight, but I do want to be sure because I, I was, for the most part, a pre- preacher neck and all. I was happy in my day-to-day life. We go on, we have kids, we have life, we eat, we celebrate, we have family, but this is more personal. This is the being healthy and a happy, healthier you is personal. And I found that I didn't even have the language or the mindset to have a conversation with myself about my eating habits. And so because we grew up where food is is shown through love and I want to remind myself of this love and it tastes good, too. Let's get that straight. You're asking people to pull away from really good seasoned fried food for a quinoa salad. (laughs) <laughs> or, or you know, some hummus and some carrot sticks or a great tuna sandwich or no bread and a fresh bin of lettuce. It doesn't compute. It just doesn't compute. So there are many things going on. This culture, there is, and here's the other thing. Oftentimes when you want to change your eating habits, it will require you to come out of your comfort zone. And we all know where people are when it comes to their comfort zone. So I'm asking you to come out of your comfort zone, the flavor profile that you grew up with, which reminds you of home or the food you cook, to come over to this, quote unquote, other side of the bridge. I call it a flavor gap. So there's a flavor gap between the foods you love and these new healthier items you want to cook. And what I really teach in my class is that the same way that you cook your collard greens and all of those good things, I can you can now put those seasonings. And cookie in a better, healthier cookie method on broccoli rob and asparagus and all of those, you know, all those great things. So it's really about just showing that. Yeah. So talk to us about, okay, we can't go through this whole thing without talking about recipes, but, you know, give us something like that. (laughs) Give us a translation, a recipe that you grew up with that you adored and how you would teach it now. Candy yams. Lord Jesus. Okay. I love my grandmother's candy yams. You know how we do it. Sweet potatoes roasted in the oven, layer sweet potatoes. So I put raisins in mine, brown sugar, vanilla. You do it again. Brown sugar, vanilla syrup, brown sugar, vanilla syrup, lemon extract. And that thing is so good. You put it in the oven. And then on top of that, we put marshmallows on top so we can burn the top so it can have that flavor, right? It is a sugar obstacle ready to happen. It's just all in. So now... I teach it, and I, but I love it. It reminds me of my grandmother's food. It's Sunday dinner. You know what I mean? It's the, it's the story of my life, the flavor of my life for sure. And so now I teach it what I'll do, a sweet potato and green apple hash. And so we roast it out. It has that same flavor profile, the cinnamon, the nutmeg, a little bit of syrup. I put some capers in it. We got some coconut milk going on. We got some fresh herbs at the end. And it has that same flavor profile. So when people eat it, it was like, the best thing that people say when I eat my, when I give it to, especially people of color, I can do this. And when they say I can do this, I know exactly what they mean. This tastes like something I've had before. This gives me comfort. 
there is a procedure here that doesn't apparently seem too busy for me. I know many of you out there have ever cooked it. You see in the magazine is say the chef way and your way. And ain't, no, ain't that much difference between the two. <laughs> so people get, we're afraid of trying new recipes that out of our comfort zone. All of this is about your comfort zone. So all of this is about with the recipes that I do in the book. So all of these comfort zones and these flavors that is what I really do is bring those flavors over from familiar foods and put them in a healthier preparation. So I found that uh, a few places online that you were giving cooking classes to a lot of people. I know you already also, do you have a catering? You're in New York yes, City? Catering. Yeah. That pays the bills. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we out here sharing this love. We got to pay the bills, right? Yes, <laughs> of course. Um, yes. And I bet you you're... You're just constantly in educating mode. I mean, even when you cook for folks, I'm sure you've got this so deep in your heart that you want to share this this message about there's, there are wonderful trade-offs. Yeah, like they're wonderful trade-offs. Yeah, education and teaching was one of those moments where I was like, okay, God, I see where you're taking me with this. And so it gives me, it's a ministry for me. It's ministry for me. It's outreach for me when I go out and I'm able to talk about the food. I'm able to kind of see that light in people's eyes and saying, you know, Chef Kenny, I thought about what you said about smoothies. I could do one early in the morning versus the heavier foods I eat. I create this class around a health belief statement. And so I have people write out what they believe about food. I ask three questions about how you see food. What would your life be if you were living it healthy? And how, what would you do if you felt like your weight wasn't a hindrance or your health wasn't a hindrance? And I have them start that statement off with, I believe. And then we write it somewhere and we create a statement. So everybody, if you work with me, I'm, you're going to create a belief health statement. I'll share it with you mine. Can I do that? Oh, sure, please. I believe that when food is at the center of my thoughts and my actions, life is better. Yeah. Life is better. And that was my guiding light through all of that weight loss. When nutritious food is at the center of my thoughts and my actions, life is better. Life is better. It's, it got me sitting here with you. It got me to have these TV opportunities to then move the work into diversity inclusion groups for top 500 companies to do these cooking classes, to have cookbooks, all because I listened to the light. And the energy in me that says, yes, I'll just explain it like this. But, oh, the direction for food was always there, God. Oh, I'm supposed to teach the food, not eat all of it. Okay, got it. <laughs> and once I, once I made that shift, it opened up everything. And I, I would say that to everyone out there. The food is such a sacred place. And it's not about being on TV or having a cookbook. It may not lead you down that road. But what it does is that it opens up the conversation with your friends and your family. And it speaks to the value of what you believe is important. Right? So right. I always say this to people. He's like, oh, eating healthy is expensive. And there is some cost to it. Let's be real. You know, I can go to, when I go to Costco, I see two hot dogs on sale for $1.99 versus a grilled chicken sandwich. I mean, salad for $7. There is a value. So what most people don't get the slice of pizza or the hamburger. But what I do say is that you start this internal conversation about what you believe about food. And so it guides me as I eat. And it's not perfect. I'm not perfect. You know what I mean? My weight fluctuates, but I'll never go back to a 260 pound dude. 
guy. That's just never going to happen because I have a center about what I believe about food. And ultimately, it should help you. It shouldn't hinder you. Tell me what you what you think of this whole notion of how social media factors into our kind of like why about healthy eating. I think it's a negative for me. Like if, if I see all the influencers are women this big around and there's all there's a just a giant word, a cycle going on for people who can who must eat with a great deal of scarcity. <laughs> like, like Yes, on some level. Yeah. Yeah. And like there's a constant tug of war between what we see on the screens in our life and what's being rewarded as beautiful or all that or healthy and what we know in our life will work for us or won't. Like, talk to us a bit, a little bit about that. On one end, I love the way you framed that. On one end is comparison. And that's just what we do. We compare. So besides that, on the spiritual kind of approach to it, I approach it in the sense that my my presence is even as a black man and not seeing myself in certain spaces. Right. And so now that I'm in this wellness venue is either guys who are very, very muscular and all that's the language of eat this and it's oatmeal and protein shake kind of life. I like real food. You, you don't do you can't do that to me. Right. And then this ideal body weight that we always seem to be comparing ourselves to. And I I hearken it on on just like the scriptures or you hear somebody preaching that I chew the meat and I spit out the fat. (laughs) So that's how I approach, you know, somebody's giving me good information. I would say be leery of any kind of influencer who's saying that you don't have to diet. I mean, watch what you're eating to lose weight. That's a clear no-no for me. But when this great conversation is around mindfulness, around eating. Then you get my attention because I know that it is a level of mindfulness. So anything that you follow me on social media, mine is always going to be around this level of inside out towards healthy. And oftentimes when we're, we're looking at influencers, that's still part of that out experience, you know, exercise, eat this, eat that, eat the nutrients, drink this supplement, da, 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 that's outward. And you haven't dealt with the inner spirit of why we even eating. So yeah, I, if the influencer kind of talking about changing from the inside out, then you have my attention. Yeah. And that's what you should really focus in on that. You agree with that? I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I'm looking with fresh eyes at everything that comes in front of me that used to get my attention. And mm. I'm just very, very careful about what I give my attention to now online when I'm scrolling through the internet or what have you. Social media, I don't fall for almost anything anymore. Yeah. That's not yeah. supportive. That's not additive to my life. I don't. And I can see, I can see a lot of the narrative around food and eating. There's a lot of joy going on. That's, I've had people tell me, ah, I never see any of the bad news because all I click on is, is cooking shows and cocker spaniel (laughs) groups, right? Like, yeah. And there is a lot of joy. Talk to us about that. One of the things you said to me during our pre-call was that you think if there's only one thing you do, try and get the family to sit down together for a meal. Yeah. That's that, that's key. And I, I will say dinners. this family night family dinners, dinners, family night dinners and, and putting away the phones. We every time I visit home, when I go back home, I'm in New York City, love New York for the kind of hustle. But when I, I love getting on the train and coming into D.C. and I could feel the energy change. And by the time I get to my mom's house 
it's almost, I mean, my mom has a cake platter already with a cake already there. I, my mom said, why you come here? Why you just lay on the couch and sleep? Because I don't sleep in New York City. I'm always on the move. And I love that the family, when we get together, my brothers and my sisters, we come over and it's like, Kenny, you cooking? And I was like, all right, Lord, I came all the way down here to cook. But I love cooking. And then my sisters come over, my cousins, before it's all over. And everybody gets to sit down. And again, that prayer over the food and seeing the food on the table and that it's a it's a synergy that happens that i didn't even know that i needed in my life that i have to have and it's almost like clockwork around every three months four months i know i need to visit home because it's something i'm not getting in my day-to-day -day operations as i call it and i need to be around my family and i want to feel safe and so when i find that eating out of my normal diet and my weight is starting to pick up. I don't start to say negative energy words to myself. I was like, okay, Kenny, what's going on? Oh, you feel disconnected. All right. So I start watching more comedy shows versus the news because I need this laughter in my life. I take a trip home to my mother. My mother said this to me and I didn't realize something I did, Linda. When I go to her house and she's in bed, I lay across her bed and I just read the newspaper with her or I read a magazine. She said, you know, you're my only child that lays in the bed with me. And I said, really? Because I want to be that seven-year-old boy. You know what I mean? And I need to give him some space and some energy so he doesn't take it out on himself. That's yeah. so huge. And, you know, I guess we, we are deep into this enough to just acknowledge right off that a lot of our beliefs around food, a lot of our limiting mm -hmm. beliefs around food are related to some hole in our soul <laughs> that didn't get filled since we were a kid. I, yeah, mm -hmm. I know that I grew up in an era, Kenny, when Twiggy was a thing. There was actually mm -hmm. an influencer mm -hmm. named Twiggy and gosh, she couldn't have weighed a hundred pounds and that was the way to be. And I am from people that would have been great in the Ice Age. We're, I'm a huge woman. I was a giant swimmer. So that builds a lot of bulk, the kind of swimming I did growing up since I was teeny. And yet I could never, I, I was never genetically programmed to ever be anything like this Twiggy. And I have a lot of issues in my mind about food and eating mm -hmm. based on growing up in a time when, when what got rewarded was something I could never be. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think that we all, if we paused to think about it, we all have some thing in our life that relates to how we're eating well or not eating or overeating or undereating or all the different permutations that food and mm -hmm. eating can bring us. So what about, I, I love, I want to go back to this, this getting rid of this sense of loss when we talk about healthy eating. Talk to mm -hmm. us some more about choices that we can make that are simple and wonderful and delicious. Is there a fried chicken choice? I, mean, I told you about my mom standing in her bathroom for four hours frying chicken. Is there a way to cook chicken that is that gives you the same flavor profile, but without all the oil? Or maybe the oil isn't bad if you only eat it on Sundays. Where are you at on that? Yeah, I have a tortilla, fried tortilla chicken where I kind of batter the chicken and tortilla chips. I see it's chicken breast, so it's not a lot of fat there because most of the fat in fried chicken is from the skin, right? Mm -hmm. And so chicken breast, and I season that like my grandmother did with some rosemary and cinnamon, salt and pepper, garlic powder, and I let the chicken marinate overnight. And then, you know, the dredging process, so it's through mm -hmm. flour, egg, and then the tortilla chips. 
and I just kind of smush it. I, I had opportunity to do it on TV, which was kind of fun. We talked about that. And you kind of fry it lightly in the oil. So it's not sitting in a deep fried oil and you sear it on both sides. And I'm telling you, it's the best fried chicken. Closest I can get to my grandmother's chicken without frying it, deep frying the chicken. It's delicious. I think and, I but, know the video. Yeah. The video you're talking yeah. about, you did it on a on Tamara Hall. Okay. Yeah, I did it on Tamara Hall. We will give people a link in the, I should mention that, that anything that Kenny and I are mentioning that's, that would be an outward bound link, we're going to put in this article on the Goodness Exchange website with this podcast interview. You won't find it on Spotify or any of the other podcast outlets, but you will find it on, in an article on the Goodness Exchange. So I'll make sure and share that because it did look amazing. <laughs> And, and that's and, and you know I kind of smile when I when I see the show or do the dish because that was my very first recipe that I ever created. Okay. Like I was sitting at home, uh, yeah, in New York City, and I was it was past four o'clock in the morning, and I didn't have any food options. And I was like, I got some tortilla chips and I got chicken breast. I wonder if the tortillas would stick on, and I did it. And it's one of my client's favorite dishes when I do catering. So it's not going anywhere. And if you take it into your heart and to your family, I think that you'll love it as well. Do you got yeah. something good going on with macaroni and cheese that, that's lovely? Macaroni and cheese is one of those things that you should leave alone. It's like, you know, when people do like reduced chicken, reduced chocolate. And, and sometimes you go in and try to just like, no, macaroni and cheese, let it be what it is. I have, I love my macaroni and cheese, but yeah, that you can't save macaroni and cheese. <laughs> it's just one of those dishes that you make and eat a salad with it, which will help with the roughage as it processed in your body. But that's about it. It's just macaroni and cheese is a thing within itself. And see, those just the thing. I don't want to be sure we talked about bad foods. I pretty much eat the same way. You know what I mean? I really, because of this internal conversation, like I never had leftovers because I ate everything. <laughs> so it's okay. I, I literally, I had a friend look at me and was like, you always leaving half of the food and putting it away because I know when I'm full now. I don't have to continue to eat to prove some kind of point. Moving it back to maybe a work situation, because we don't, we go out the door, we don't have something to eat. By the time we go through a busy lunch, we eat a whole, like my normal breakfast was, I used to eat a croissant with scrambled eggs, uh, cheese, a side of potatoes and orange juice. That was my breakfast every day. And so you can understand how much butter is in a croissant every day and how I was eating. So now is why I got the smoothie book out, the everyday smoothie book, was that the first thing in the morning when I wake up, I hear two voices. It kind of sounds like the guy from the Green Mile with the low, deep voice and the guy, one of my favorite characters from Fat Hour. And it's sort of like I say, I wake up in the morning and the voice was like, I sure would like some fried chicken and some home fries and pancakes. And then the other voice is like, no, we're going to have a smoothie. Long story short, that voice fights me all the way until I get into the kitchen. That voice is always there. And so now I'm in the practice of just making a smoothie, a green smoothie every day to get in my vegetables. And then you can center yourself. You can then say, Okay, I can have some home fries or the pizza toast and the scrambled eggs, but I promise you, once you fill yourself up with something nutritious, and it's also spiritual, because I say to myself, before I start the day, before I turn on the news, before I turn on social media, that I'm nourishing myself and my body with something good. And so we've talked about this before, about choosing good. I didn't realize that it's something you have to practice. It is something that you have to be intentional about. 
And out of all the arts, you know, we, we think about dancing and music and everything. They're all great. However, food is the only art that we take into our body, into our blood system. It's the only art that we actually digest. So I want the first thing that I digest in the morning to be something good. So my mindset, my body, my fibers and the cells in my body understands that no matter what happens throughout the day, the first thing I started with was something good and that I'm worthy about it because we're going to talk about it. I don't know if we're going to really be able to get into it, but it's all centered. If we could just take all the little bits of conversations we had, it's a, the biggest work I had to do was around worthiness. It was around worthiness. Am I worthy of the good food? You understand? I've had clients, you know, say this. I want to go too far on this, but I'll let you go down this door if you want to. But being a health coach in the African-American community on some level because of our history and rightfully so and the being enslaved, that even when you present healthier food items, the idea is that that's white people food. It's white people food. And so not, so not, so not only from a flavor profile do I have to have a conversation, it's to penetrate a mindset that something good, I'm worthy of that as well. I'll just leave it there. I'll just leave it there. I don't know. I think you have to go further. I think you're so right. I totally think you're right. I never given that perspective. It's never occurred to me. Yeah, that, that vegetables or color. I tell people I don't diet. I just eat food with color. If you eat food with color and that's your mainstay, I never died. I haven't died since, I don't know, since Clint was president, because dieting gives me anxiety. <laughs> it gives me anxiety. And so it starts about me. I can't eat that. I can't have that. And so I don't do that. So it's just about color for me. So in my refrigerator right now, if I open it up, it will be cooked collard greens. It would be spinach for my smoothies. It would be oranges and apples. It would be a bean salsa. It would be quinoa salad with bell pepper. It's just color. It's just. And so I don't really diet. I just eat towards color. That's what I do. But as it relates to African-Americans that I found in my practice, not all, of course, but it really is that Southern experience, that black church experience that shapes how we eat. You take another step out of that with the language around fast food that gives us value, what a value meal means. Let's take that in for a second. A value meal is a hamburger, french fries at this price, cheap food. So you have a distorted view about what value is and about the culture, again, which we received first talk about that. So now I have to move the needle towards what you see is valuable as it relates to eating well. And then the culture kind of understands of the laws of leaving, you know, grandma's mother fried chicken and, you know, all of that language and to finding a level of worthiness that I'm worthy of the collard greens. I'm worthy cook well. I saute mine. My family hates it. It took me a while to get my mother to saute her collard greens because she would put it in the crock pot and let it cook all night and all the nutrients is in the juice. So I have her now. She sautes it. it took a while. But that this experience here on the on the table with avocado mash and collard greens and some quinoa has more value for your life than the four chicken wings, french fries, and the soda. And so that was the work that I had to do about what around worthiness. So yeah, we could stay there all day, Linda, if we do this. (laughs) Around worthiness and food. I just think (laughs) that you're absolutely right about that. And I never Mm -hmm. given it a thought. 
And the worthiness also comes back to, I think it's connected somehow. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can make this connection, but when you start talking about that, I remember something that came to me as a child. Man, we were not allowed to leave the table till our plate was clean. We talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. My parents both grew up, oh, they had tragic childhoods. My mom was an orphan by nine and crossed the United States alone at age 11 to get to an aunt. And my dad was kicked out of the house very early in life. And so they both lived with a level of scarcity. And literally, we would have to sit there for hours if we would not eat every single green bean in that goulash. <laughs> and, you know, wow. night after night of that clean plate club, where is that in here? <laughs> yeah, that's a great. And so many of us grew up that way. But the, uh, add one little layer to that about valuing sugar. So what we were told, me growing up, it was eat those vegetables or you're not going to get the cookie. So in a child's mindset, the reward is the sugar and the cookie, not the value of the vegetables on the plate. So we take I took that mentality right into my adulthood because it's just an extension of that. So my value was not in the vegetables and eating well. It was about so I could get to the sugar. And there you go. You got a whole generation of us who value sugar. There was a statistic that said any child born after, I believe it's 2005, in the African-Americans, three out of four was going to have diabetes. Just guaranteed, based off of eating habits, based on family history, based on nutrition. And so we had this little conversation. We'll go here a little bit when we start to see the different drugstores, you know, the language. And I'm listening. I told you, I'm listening to language. Oh, is it taking too long for you to get a doctor's appointment in your neighborhood? We're right here in your neighborhood now and they're opening more of those wellness centers. They have done the research to understand that we're getting thicker. And so to have these dispensaries of drugs and incident, all of that in the neighborhood is now it's a money marketing thing. And so you really have to take the personal responsibility because healthcare, for all the good that they do, and fast food for originally the service was just to have a quick meal that they used to feed the people in England between the workers. That's all it was, just a fast meal that used to be healthy and nutritious. It's moved totally away from that original model, right? The average American eats two to three meals away from the home now. And most of that food is filled with salt and saturated fats. So it's, when you take a step back, it's really easy to see how the weight comes. I will say to most of my clients, it's not your fault, but it is your opportunity. So how do we fix the opportunity? Not your fault, but it is your opportunity. Yeah. And I, I don't think we should skip too fast from that point. You know, okay. we've, just mentioned, we've just mentioned at least a dozen ways that it truly is not our fault. Like the, like our set points in our mind were, <laughs> were created by others or social norms or mm -hmm. whatever over time. So it truly is not our fault. Mm -hmm. But it is our opportunity. Opportunity. It is our opportunity. I'm loving the thought leaders that I interview on this podcast because I can't even think of one that, that doesn't do this naturally. They all, the thread that runs through all of you is that you all look at things as an opportunity instead of a problem. You just yeah. have this oh, way. Wow. Yes, yes. You never say, oh, I'm fighting the, pro I, I've never had anybody say, like, for instance, there's this a great episode, I'll, I'll make sure it's in the show notes, where I interviewed the guy. Do you remember when 
plastic straws became enemy public enemy number one in 2015. There was a marine biologist who pulled this drinking straw out of a sea turtle's nose. So yeah. that guy is Dr. Nate Robinson. I've interviewed him twice. Now oh, we wow. could have spent the whole entire interview talking about the problem of plastics in the oceans, right? Because that's a big, terrible thing. But I really, what, what Nate did was he turned the whole thing on its head. We probably talked about plastics in the ocean for one minute. And then uh -huh. the rest of the interview was all about the opportunities that popped up after that video got 90 million views or on its way to getting, mm -hmm. it has 90 million now. Oh, this is a really, really something I love in your message is that we have an opportunity to look mm -hmm. at these flavor profiles and try to get them in different ways, in ways that, mm -hmm. that will serve us and drive, take us away from our probably genetic tendency towards diabetes or away from our genetic tendencies or away from our programming about food. Am, am I hearing you saying that? too you are there is a program you know we we are creatures of habit and so we just kind of do that so early i talked about just going to the kitchen and making a smoothie and i was like that was hard initially but i go to the kitchen every morning without even thinking make a cup of coffee so just adding you asked me like what is those kind of steps just adding that one step keeps it in this is what you got to keep eating well simple and you got to keep it in line of what you already do. So going to the kitchen to make the cup of coffee, take just taking a few more steps and taking all of my smoothie ingredients and adding it to my smoothie. There it is. You know what I mean? I just kind of make it when it's done. So I drink my cup of coffee. I have my smoothie ready. And that is, I'll just put it like this. <laughs> you become very regular. And so all of that language it's very important to me. And so those simple things, carrying a smoothie with me when I get home, you've seen the commercials about the Snickers commercial was like, you're not yourself when you're hungry. So I always take a smoothie with me to go. So I had to cut down on my snacking when I'm out at the door. So all these little teeny things help exercise. Now I have an idea about, I have, I hear a lot of my clients say, Oh, I hate to exercise. And I really gave a little, I wanted to go deeper about exercise and what what the problem was. And this is my idea. There's no scientific <laughs> thing behind this, but I did do a little survey with my friends. What happens when you're exercising? When you in between sets or you you're, you're doing it, your breathing speeds up. It's very hard to cook or to exercise and be somewhere else. And our attention is always scattered. Two or three things we think about work right now as we could be eating. Everything's moving ahead. When you exercise because of your breathing, because you're mindful, you're right there, right? Okay, so we can't wrap up this interview without asking you two really important questions. Okay, imagine this interview had only been a few minutes long, maybe two or three minutes, and everybody was going to hear it. <laughs> everybody, like billions. Oh. What do you really wish people knew? Like when it really comes down to it, is there anything you catch yourself sometimes going, oh, and you just really wish people knew? Is there a concept that kind of really could make be a difference maker for people? That you're worthy as you are right now. And I know it's so easy to say that and it, it's become so that worthiness is something that is within you is not something that you seek and that you are the source of the worthiness. 
And it changed my life because I felt for so long that even my relationship with God was if I was good. And if I was good, God would reward that and then I would be worthy of it versus God is something that's I already have. I can't lose him. And so when you have that kind of center about worthiness and that you're worthiness and how do you get to that, Kenny, if you don't feel that right now in this moment, it's those little moments and maybe I'm a little biased because I'm a chef in making the choice to drink the smoothie and, and to do that every day to say, I have a starting point for how I feed my life. And life is the goal. So life is the goal. Please feed it in every way that, that grows you. Yeah. Lovely. You know, I, I love your statement back at the beginning about about food is life and we have we have some choices about that. And so often we're on kind of autopilot. That's mm-hmm. one of the big things I'm going to take away from our chat today is to be less on autopilot when I'm running through my kitchen or zooming around doing errands. I, I have <laughs> I have a propensity to stop at McDonald's because I like their unsweetened iced tea and I get an uh-huh. unsweetened iced tea. And there's this moment where I want to order fries too. <laughs> I usually don't, but sometimes it depends on what kind of day I'm having. But mm-hmm. I'm going to think about you next time I'm doing that. And I'm, I'm going to think about whatever I'm eating as life-giving or kind of messing with my life. I think the question to everybody to ask yourself when you're having these meals, if you can just have that moment, what do I believe about this food I'm about to eat? What do I believe about it? And if you start to think about it like that, and I promise you, that's the way I do. Even when I'm like, oh, I don't care. I want the grilled cheese. and blah, blah, blah. I ask myself before I eat it. That's why grace was so important. We've talked about grace. Just having that little pause gives you an opportunity to look at the food. What do I believe about this meal? And even if it's, I'm just hungry right now and it is what it is. But if you continuously have that conversation, what do I believe about the food? It opens up the mind space. And food becomes a conversation about belief, not just hunger. It's so lovely. All right. So tell us where people can can find you or do what's, what should people do next? Tell us how they can reconnect deeply with what you're doing. I do this mindful meditation every Monday on my Instagram account at seven o'clock. We kind of just do some meditating and we set our goals for the week. And you can see me there. I'm always on Instagram posting something in my stories inspirational. I think we talked about this. Uh, I made a decision a long time ago during the general election when Hillary and Obama was, remember where they were going yeah. and everybody had all this negative information going on. I was just like, I know nothing about what they stand for. So I made a decision right then and there that my social media page was only going to be about goodness and positive energy and things that move us forward. So if you're looking for a page that just kind of does that with food and music and family, I invite you to just come see us on Instagram and Chef Kenny, Chef Kenny Minor, and and same thing on Facebook and Twitter. Yes. Great. I'm too old for TikTok. (laughs) <laughs> I know. I'm trying to I'm trying to get over there too, but there's no appeal so far. <laughs> None. Okay. Well, I can't thank you enough. I, I hope that folks who are listening to this episode will join us over at the Goodness Exchange. That website, goodness exchange.com, is a place where you can do more of exactly what Kenny was talking about. Dive into the goodness and the progress that's all around us. Not puppies and mailbox stories, but stories of real progress 
are happening. Kenny's part of this wave. It's a conspiracy of goodness out there, folks. Thank you so much for joining us, Kenny. I hope that the inspiration and the cool ideas that Kenny and I have brought to the surface here today will carry you through the rest of your week, and you will start finding all the joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Thanks, Kenny. Thank you, Lindsay.